Our scripture passage this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Every, um, every gospel writer has his own individual style and personality. Um, the vast majority of, of Christian theologians uh, do not believe in, in a me- mechanical dictation sort of theory. Uh, and what I mean by that is uh, there are very few Christian scholars who believe God simply forced um, these writers to simply be the hand, but rather there is an inspiration. While God uh, spoke, he spoke through them, he used the personality of each and every author of the Bible. And so their personality, his truth came through their personalities and their personalities flowed through. And one of the things about Matthew, he's well known for being the most, uh, the most Jewish of the Gospels, the most Jewish-centered, and you hear the most about the kingdom. Um, and, but also, Matthew uh, loves mountains. Matthew is always talking about the mountains. He's the one that, that happens to tell us that the Sermon on the Mount takes place on the mountain. And he, he really is taken by mountains. And so he ends his gospel with Jesus inviting the disciples to a certain mountain. And they meet him there, and there Jesus has a message for his disciples. Would you stand with me, please, as we read Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for uh, its power. Lord, as it speaks to us today, as your spirit works among us uh, to bring it alive to us. And Father, I pray that each of our hearts, whether we are here physically present or whether, uh, Father, folks are watching us and just spiritually present with us, Father, that all of us would be in tune with what you have to say. And Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus calls his disciples together for a mountaintop experience. How do you like that? He says, come on, boys, I got a little hike for you. I think you're going to like this one. I think you're going to like the view. And I got to talk, and I want you to remember what I'm about to have to say. And I kind of feel like he maybe motioned out 
toward all of the other kingdoms and had them think about all of the places that he wanted them to go. And the Bible was very real here. It says these folks, they worshipped him, but it says, but some doubted. Now, let me tell you this word doubt that's translated into the English as doubt here. It's not the normal word that's often used for doubt. It's actually a word that's only used twice in the New Testament. The other time it's used is with the story of Peter. And remember when Peter said, Jesus, if it's really you, call me out to walk on the water and the waves. And Jesus says, it's me. And he walks out. And then what does he do? He takes, he sees the wind and the waves. He takes his eyes off Jesus and he doubts and he begins to sink. So in other words, the, the word for doubt really has to do with being distracted or kind of conflicted a little bit. It wasn't that Peter had no faith. It's that Peter's faith got crowded out by the wind and the waves and the storms. And the same thing here, it's not that these disciples had no faith in Jesus. They had faith. They came and they worshiped. And yet they were still in turmoil because their, their world had gotten turned upside down. They, they were still recoiling from everything that had happened uh, from his arrest and his trial and, and his persecution and his death and then resurrection. And again, that's why I love the Bible, that it's so real. If this was some made-up story Everything would have worked out just fine and just perfectly and nobody would have ever had any doubts or any, any troubles. And, but these were real people. And, and so here they are. They love Jesus. They're so excited that he's resurrected. But even as he's giving them the Great Commission, they're still dealing with the aftershocks of all that they've been through. And so he says to them, it says, it's interesting, it says, When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to him, came to them. Do, do you get the picture? There was some social distancing going on here. In other words, Jesus was kind of over there, and they kind of stopped several feet away. And, and okay, Jesus, you know, hey. And they were kind of afraid to get any closer. And then the Bible says, then Jesus came to him. In other words, I, I will close the distance. You've come this far, but I know you're, you're still struggling. And I'll go the rest of the way. Kind of reminds me of the picture in the prodigal son of the father. And he sees that, that son and the father goes and just wraps him up in his arms. And Jesus says to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He's assuring them, I'm about to tell you something. And what I'm about to tell you to do, the mission that I'm about to give you, you're going to have full authority to carry it out because I've had full authority to give it. And I am sharing that authority with you. And then he gives this great commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you. Now, again, there are some things that, that we can see in the English language, but 
a little bit deeper, those scholars who really study the Greek and stuff can tell us that the main verb here is make disciples. That is the main verb. And the other verbs are supporting participles. That is going and baptizing and teaching. All of those things are supporting this main idea of making disciples. That is Jesus' main goal for us, to make disciples. Now, just like Jesus turned upside down and kind of reinvented the Passover meal when he took elements of the Passover meal and came out with the Lord's Supper that was this, this brand new thing in itself. Jesus kind of twisted and turned upside down and created a whole new thing for discipleship. Because let's talk about discipleship uh, for a minute in the ancient world. Here, here's what would happen. If you are a religious guy or a philosopher, you know, an Aristotle or a Socrates or whatever, you went around and taught people. And people said ooh and ah over you because of your grand teachings and, and how smart you were, wise you were, whatever. And, and, and these disciples would follow you, okay? And then when you died, whoever perhaps was your most famous disciple, maybe people would start following them, okay? And so they would start having their own disciples, though. You see, people started following them. They became, you know, the new person who made their own disciples. And so on and so forth. When they died, maybe somebody else. But Jesus kind of did away with that notion. <laughs> he didn't say, hey, Peter, when I'm gone... I want you to start making disciples of Peter, okay? And, and then if you make a disciple named Bob, I want you to tell him, make disciples of Bob, okay? And then Bob, he's going to make disciples of Ann, you know? I mean, no, he didn't say it that way. He kind of blew up the old model of discipleship. He said, even though I'm going, I'm ascending, I'm going to the Father, going to be at the right hand of the Father in heaven, you're going to make disciples of me. And there's not going to be a, a new person to follow. I'm going to be the person to follow generation after generation after generation. Everybody's going to keep on. You're going to be my witnesses. And you're going to tell people about me. And they'll be disciples of me. And how, are, how is this going to go about? You're going to go. You know, you don't just sit in a, a corner somewhere and, you know, you have to actually go and get around people and talk to people and see people. And sometimes that actually means going to foreign nations. Other times that just means going in your community, wherever you are, but you're going to have to go. And, 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 you know, when people accept that news that you've been preaching, you're going to baptize them. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but you're going to baptize them. That is part of becoming into the Christian life. And you're going to have to teach them. You're going to have to train them. It's not just some club you sign up for. It's something that you mature and grow in. And they become fully trained. And guess what? Then they can make more disciples of Christ as well. And there is a process that Jesus said, I am reinventing 
what the classical ancient world used as a model of discipleship, he totally redid and had this brand new thing out there. Now this morning, I want us to think about specifically the baptizing part. Because we just celebrated um, one of the two ordinances or sacraments, whatever term you want to use, of the church uh, in communion. Communion is an ongoing communion, the Lord's Supper, all sorts of different terms out there. Communion is an ongoing thing in the life of the church. It is, it is a regularly expressed thing, and, and now there's different churches, and uh, denominations have different things about how often they do it, and, uh, but it is a regular part. Everybody agrees, I've never heard at least, of a single denomination that says, you take communion once, and you better enjoy it, you better remember it, because that's it. And now everybody knows it's, an, it's a thing that you do. And Jesus says, as often as you do it, whenever you do it. He didn't say how often, but he left the impression that we were going to do it multiple times. He said, as often as you do it. Uh, on the other hand, uh, baptizing was, was something that was really meant to be done once. Now, are people baptized more than once? Sometimes, yes, and, and, and that's okay, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But baptism is, is interesting in, in that it is something that we do for a number of reasons. Uh, we baptize for obedience, first of all. We baptize for obedience, simply because Jesus said we're supposed to do this. You know, it was something he didn't even have to do himself, certainly. He didn't have to be baptized. Um, but he let John baptize him. And especially because John's baptism back then was a, was a bapt baptism, kind of a, almost of a confession of sin and stuff and, and repentance. And that's why John was like, I don't need to be baptizing you. And, and, and Jesus said, let me do it to fulfill all righteousness. And, and that was... In other words, John, let me do this because there is, this is part of God's will. Jesus wanted to give the uh, example of him being baptized himself, okay? And we'll also come back to that. But Jesus clearly commanded that people be baptized. Now, once again, almost every Christian understands and agrees with this. Um, I say almost. I have actually <laughs> come across some very sweet, well-meaning Christians that have a very peculiar belief that baptism was only for a very certain small amount of time in the Christian life, and they don't think that it's uh, for them uh, anymore. I won't get into that because it's not a widespread belief, and I don't believe it's a true belief by any means, but it's something that by and large, 99.9% .9 of all Christians understand that baptism is something that Jesus commanded the early church and, and all believers ever since are supposed to do it. We do it, number one, to obey him, to follow his command. Um, we, we also do it to initiate uh, believers into the church. 
Uh, it is a way that we kind of mark this is someone now associated with the body of Christ. We often in, in modern day uh, Christianity, at least in America and I guess in other places, you know, we, we have uh, people talk about, I walk the aisle, right? Um, that, that's a typical thing. But, you know, that's, that's not an ancient thing. Do you know that walking the aisle was a new and novel thing that came about uh, roughly uh, 300-ish or so years ago with a revivalistic movement? But if you were to go back to church 500 years ago, whether it was Protestant or Catholic or any sort of church, and, and you said, I'm going to walk the aisle, brothers, they would have looked at you like, what are you doing? What are you talking about? You will be disrupting service. They would have no idea of that at all. Uh, that's something we do. and doesn't mean it's good or bad or anything. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. But... When we talk about a public profession of faith, biblically speaking, in the Bible, a public profession of faith was being baptized. Whenever uh, you went, remember we didn't have, the, in the ancient world, there wasn't all this indoor plumbing. So people constantly went to the river to wash, to get water, to do all sorts of things. Rivers were very popular places. And so when early believers would show up and they would come down to the riverside and, and a whole crowd of people, you know, got out there and somebody you know, walked out there and a grown person uh, was put into the water. Don't you know, everybody said, what are they doing? What's going on? And it drew attention. And so it was a very public thing. People knew. They are followers of Jesus Christ. So there was some obedience. Uh, there was some initiation into the body. Um, and, and also identification specifically of, of which kind of follower uh, is this person. And the, here's where the baptizing into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit comes. Um, we identify baptism with Christianity, right? But uh, Christianity is not the only religion that has ever baptized. There have been other, and specifically we knew that even though baptism isn't really in you know, the Old Testament, but obviously there were some Jews that were baptizing in some circumstances uh, in Jesus' day, uh, they would baptize. They may not baptize themselves, but they would baptize a, a proselyte. That means a Gentile who was converting to Judaism. They would baptize them. And, and there have been other groups that have baptized. So just baptizing by itself might not necessarily identify someone as a Christian if it wasn't proclaimed what was going on. And so Jesus specifically said... You baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, those of you who are grammar nerds, have you ever noticed anything about that statement? Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't you expect it to be the names of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But it is very specifically written that way to identify the Trinity. 
We serve one God, which happens to be the three persons of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do I, do anybody, does anybody really completely comprehend and understand all of that fully? No. We trust that's how God has revealed himself, and we hope that one day in heaven we'll completely get it and understand it more. But it's one of these things where we know, okay, God, this is what you've revealed. This is what you've told about uh, yourself to us. So we believe it. But if you've never caught that before, you think about that. It is the name, not the names, but the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit into which we are baptized. Now, uh, just to go back, since I said I would, some folks are baptized more than once. I don't think God gets angry or upset about that. I think he's just fine with that because, you know what, he understands we're human beings. And sometimes uh, we may feel like we've made a new start and, in life or maybe we were baptized at such a young age that we don't really remember it properly or whatever. And, and someone desires and says, hey, I want to be rebaptized because I want to reaffirm uh, my faith. Um, you know, I don't think you have to do that. And if someone doesn't feel that need, then I'm like, hey, that's, that's fine if you're fine. But if, if, you, you know, if you feel like you have to and feel like that's something the Lord's put on your heart, then, then that's something then, then I don't discourage either. Because the Lord sees someone's heart and they know if that's what you feel that you want to go ahead and proclaim and say, hey, I want everybody to know that, uh, man, that was so long ago. Or maybe my life took a twist or a turn and I want everybody to know publicly that I'm on track with the Lord now. Then uh, as a pastor, I'm fine with that. Jesus closes with this after talking about the making disciples through going and teaching and baptizing, he says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is with us always. Always. There's a lot of crazy stuff that's happened in 2020, right? <laughs> I mean, you know... Uh, I'm going to tell you something right now, and I know this is probably going to almost make me seem like a bad father, but I'm going to admit this. Until last night, Caleb and Courtney had never seen Back to the Future. I know, I know, I failed them. I failed them. But last night, we had movie night, and we watched Back to the Future. And they were like, oh, and, you know, of course, their reference was, oh, okay, now I see where that meme came from. And, you know, and, and uh, it's, they, they'd seen the little cultural things here and there, but we're watching Back to the Future. And then, then when he's setting the time for the future of, of when to go for, you know, I think in the next movie they go somewhere else in the future. And they're like, don't put it on 2020. Don't put it on 2020. <laughs> you know. Uh, old Doc would have been just blown away if he'd have come to 2020 and seen all the stuff that we're going through now, right? But you know, nothing that we're going through surprises the Lord. He's seen and he knows everything that we're dealing with. And not only does he know it, he's here with us through it. And although he is not with us physically anymore, he is with us in spirit. That's why he told us, he said, I'm sending you another comforter. 
And, you know, just as the Bible tells us that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and just as this very story at the very end of Matthew tells us that even when the disciples, both those who worshipped and those who were doubtful and conflicted, both stopped short of coming close to Jesus, it was Jesus who went further and closed the gap. I believe that Jesus is still closing the gap today. That he is still drawing near to the brokenhearted, to the confused, to the stressed, to the worn out, to the tired, to all of us who need him. Jesus is with us always. We just got to keep on (laughs) keeping on, keeping on looking to him. And he'll take care of us. Our mission hasn't changed. He's still given us the authority. He's still given us his spirit and his strength. And his presence are all still with us. And he still desires for us to meet him and grow with him in a relationship on a day-by-day basis. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you and we thank you so much, um, Lord, that you do love us and care for us. God, you do close that gap. God, you welcome us even when we falter, even when we fail, when we take our eyes off of you, when we stray from you. Uh, Father, even when we grow distant, God, you still love us. I thank you for that. and Father, I pray that you would restore our hearts toward you in any place where we've uh, grown cold or gotten away from you. Just remind us how much that you love us and how much that we need you and and how much, um, Father, that you just want to be there for us. Father, remind us that Lord, we have a clear purpose in this life that through our relationship with you, we are fulfilled as we seek out you and, and our purpose and our plan that you have for us. God, help us to fulfill that and to be fulfilled as we follow you. Lord, as we um, listen to this next song, Father, help each of us to Just respond in our hearts and minds to what you have for us. And God, we pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.